What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Grind Podcast. Today, we have a special guest in Travis Nowatney of Goat Knives. Welcome, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me on. You bet. And also, we got we pulled Aaron away from his uh, desk job, away from his uh, computer here, and we got Mealy Freak Aaron here. So we're excited to have Aaron here to talk a little bit about knives and, and bow hunting. So before we get started, though, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Basemap, 3D Maps, on iOS, live location sharing, 800 plus layers to choose from. If you're currently using an existing mapping software like HuntWise or OnX, you can make the switch today, transfer all your waypoints over so you don't skip a beat, and you get 20% off. So go to basemap.com forward slash mealyfreak and save yourself 20% and start using a better app for hunting. Okay, thanks guys. Appreciate the support. Now, Travis, Goat Knives. You launched Goat Knives this summer. What an awesome brand, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, that that logo, your taglines, your slogan, the knives. I mean, everything you're doing right now is on point. You're you're gaining a lot of steam in the industry, a lot of people watching you. I've seen the knives on Go Hunt, Black Ovis. Tell us about the company. Well, uh, originally, I started it just with an idea. The Capper Hunter, which is one of our knives, and it's kind of the the original knife that I started with. I just kept having this idea in my head that I wanted to combine a knife and a set of Allens just so I could be basically kill two birds with one stone. And that was kind of the premise behind it. Yeah, it just was a, a trial and error thing where I took it from an idea to a finished prototype. And then I figured it was something that I needed to share with the rest of the industry. So. Yeah, that's awesome. So basically, you wanted a way to, obviously, you're a big bow hunter. You wanted a way to combine several several tools into one to save weight and to be more efficient. Exactly. You're always about saving weight from bow setup to the different tripods and tripod heads you're getting every year. I mean, saving yourself ounces if you can. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it stems from being... Uh... <laughs> I don't know what the word is, but lazy in a sense, like I, I go through my gear system every year and I'm always trying to cut weight and basically trying to multifunction and repurpose just because, you know, as a backpack hunter, I don't, man, just everything's heavy. You know, you have all these gear items that you need. Some are luxury and some are, are an absolute necessity. And when you can take something like a knife, which is a necessity and combine it with a set of Allens that's going to save you, give you peace of mind in the field, knowing that say I, I drew a tag in Montana or something like that. And I'm over there and I'm hunting elk. Well, my sight gets loose in the field. What am I going to do? Am I going to hike out of the back to the pickup, you know, right? or do I carry that extra bulky Allen wrench in there? So that was, right. that's kind of the premise behind it. No, that's awesome. So 1.4 ounces, that's insane. So that handle's made of titanium. Yeah, it's super light, super strong. It's got a great fit. Yeah, it's an awesome product. I really believe in it. So, and and from all the feedback I've gotten from uh, other hunters, it's just gaining steam every, every day. So that's awesome. So, you know, what might you fix? What might go wrong on your bow? So, how many Allens might you take for your bow? So you got your rest, you got your sight, tripod legs. Probably only need what two or three. Allen keys to be able to fix anything on your bow you needed? Well, I guess if you yeah. needed to adjust your sight or resight in or something. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the idea behind it. I mean, why pack an, an Allen set, you know, that's got 10 pieces in it when maybe for your setup you only need two or maybe you need three, you know, and, and that's, you know, every one of those little Allen bits, those all add up, you know, that that's a few more granola bars you can stuff in your pack and give you a little more <laughs> energy, you know. He's speaking my language right now. I, I know, Travis. I know, in fact... Travis Nowatney, uh, when it comes to, you just reminded me of something here to, to get off the subject here, but dude, you're the little sucker that got me to taste my first energy drink when you and I were deer hunting together. I was yeah. so thirsty and you got out of the pickup to take a leak or something and I, and I saw your green monster and I had to take a, a sip and man, I'd never felt so good. I think I was six or seven years ago now, and I blame you for my addiction. Yeah, I, I finally had to quit my addiction because <laughs> I just, I, yeah, I, I know that stuff's not good for you, and it's not good on your liver and stuff, so I've definitely had to cut it out. <laughs> That's good. That's funny. Maybe you can share your... Uh... The way you quit with Eric, your quit cold method. turkey. It, that's cold turkey. Well, quite honest, like I started having some like knee pain, and I think it was from all the acid and stuff that's in those monsters. And like I just, I just gave it up, cold turkey, and my knees feel a lot better. So I, that was totally it. So that's funny. Good for you. 
Okay, back back to the ninth though. The BC wide court. Tell me about the idea and inspiration behind that. Obviously, D loop, drop away rest. Yeah, I guess I anything just, really. Yeah, I just like the idea of having a lanyard, you know, aesthetically, and you know, something to hang on to, and having D loop material or BCY twenty four cordage is just why put cordage on it that is basically useless except for hanging meat or something like that why not give it more function you can replace your frayed d-loop or broken d-loop in the field you can repair or fix your your fall away rest you can use it as a boot lace a tent guy anything really you know i just i wanted to give more function to every purpose like i mean what's the point of trying to bring light to the market and just, I, I just like the idea of uh, taking everything to the extreme and getting as much function as you can out of your product. So, yeah, absolutely. No, that's, it's a great idea. It's a great little knife. I quartered and deboned my entire moose with it. It was amazing. It was super lightweight. I, I like the fact that your replaceable blade is light and your fixed blade is light. So that way I pack both. You know, I I never used to pack both. I used to just pack a Havilon, but now I'll pack both of these. So should I need them? I could pack five of them. It would be the same weight as, you know, taking one of my uh, former knives, if that makes sense. Yeah. The the cool thing with the Carbon Pro, it's one of those knives. It's like, it's got a neck sheath so you can carry it right around your neck. You're sitting there, you're having lunch and you, you know, pull some cheese out or a a salami log. You can chop it up right there and, you know, just gives more purpose a little more handy super lightweight and also having the ability to be able to change between the standard blade and the fleshing blade i haven't launched the fleshing blade yet it's done it's ready it's in the works and we're a few weeks away from launching that so you're just gonna again have maximum functionality out of one knife yeah that's awesome so what's cool about this system that travis has built is all of these knives, be it the Skeleton, the Carbon Pro, the Nitrotur, the Capra Hunter TI, they all feature that, what do you call it, a hex hole at the end of the handle that you can, that'll all accommodate the Allen keys? Yeah, I, I just call it the quarter inch drive hole. Hex quarter hole, inch drive so. hole, okay. Yep, that gives you function even with that fixed blade. You can throw in two or three Allens, you know, if you're trying to go minimalist and you want to leave your Capra Hunter at home, well, it still works with all our fixed blades as well. That's awesome, man. What about that? Jimping, I believe you call it there at the end, just before the blade starts. Tell me about that grip and what kind of was your thought process there? Well, being that, you know, I want to be as lightweight as possible anyway, I want to streamline and skeletonize the handle. So what better way than to put some jimping notches there, which is referred to in the knife industry. Um, It's basically gives it a cool aesthetic and then grip mm-hmm. your, your hand is solid in that thing. You got bare fat on your hand or whatever. Your, your hand's not going to run up on the blade. It's just just gives you some good grip there yeah the nice thing about that too is it gives you the opportunity to finesse the knife i mean that blade is so sharp that you don't need to you know death grip that thing and and having those uh jimping notches to be able to anchor your your thumb and your index finger it's nice that's one of the things i kind of want to point out that's kind of really cool about the capper hunter those blades just being a replacement blade knife i mean it gets dull you pull it out and you change it out and if you look on the blade itself the blade it doesn't go all the way down to the end you know it's got a little handle a little tab there that you can flex and pull the blade off one of the key features of the capper hunter is being able to easily remove your blade like i don't know if you've ever used a havilon or anything like that where a lot of the times you basically have to take your blade and jam it in a log and pry it and hope that when that thing shoots off, it doesn't stick you in the eye or the face or something like that. Cool thing about the Capper Hunter, it's just got a 16th inch blade hangover so you can just easily grab it with your fingernail and pop it off. And if you're using that knife correctly and you're not sticking it way down in the cavity, which it shouldn't be anyway because the cutting edge on that blade you shouldn't be cutting beyond where that stop. There should be no need to stick it into the blade cavity and have that blade hook and come off. It's really a, a key safety feature on a knife that is is pretty dangerous because it's so sharp. Right. Yeah, that's what I tell guys. This isn't a knife that was engineered to sink in the cavity of a deer elk and then, you know, blindly just pivot back and forth and cut. Like it's a finesse type knife. I mean Yeah, everybody's got their own little style. You know, I've got a ton of feedback on the knife and a ton of reviews. And I would say 98% of them are positive. And the only I'd say negative is people were worried because they've had the blade pop off. And I personally have tested the knife enough to know that I think it's more or less user error. No, that makes if that you makes knew sense. 
the how and why behind the design, you would know that that function serves a, a complete purpose. I didn't want to bury that little tab to where you can't get it off. So it's everything was pretty well thought through and all the changes and, and tweaks. I made those from the beginning before I ever came out. These knives, before they were launched, you know, my buddies tried them, I tried them and I put them through the ringer. So yeah, that's awesome. Looks like you got a bunch of reviews on here already too. And they're, they're shipping now. I know you guys were backlogged for a while now, but it looks like they're shipping. Yeah. Yeah. We're, they're in stock and shipping. It's one of those things to get product out there. It's expensive and you don't want to overstep your boundaries that will limit you and new design and stuff down the road. So you kind of anticipate what you think you're going to sell, but the popularity of the knife and all these hunters are realizing what a great product it is. They're, they're just flying off the shelf. That initial launch, it just Really didn't been playing catch up ever since, but caught up now. Got a huge amount of inventory, and from here on out, it'll be it'll be a flowing system. So you buy a knife, it's gonna it's gonna hit the mail within two weeks and be to your door. You know that's awesome. Well, good for you, man. Congratulations on an absolutely amazing brand. Some killer products. I've used Skeleton this last fall. I used the Pro. Um, I used the Capra Hunter a lot, and what an amazing system. Super lightweight extremely rugged handles made of titanium on the capra hunter ti the pro handle is also made of titanium and features a nitro v steel can you tell me about that steel a little bit that's on the on the fixed blade which is the carbon the the tur carbon pro yeah so one of the reasons i i I went away from one of the harder steels you know like the I, i shouldn't say that this is a very hard steel it's got a very very high hardness you know 61 62 up there with some of the best but the thing about the nitro v that i like is the ability to it's not so hard that the average guy can't put a hair raising or basically a a hair shaving edge back on it with with a stone or you know just your standard knife sharpener um a lot of my reasoning behind that is you know most hunters are just hunters you know they want to be able to put a good edge on them but i also wanted good edge retention to where you go out in the field, you can break an entire bull elk down before you got to put another edge on it. So you can take it to the field, use it in the field, do what you got to do. When you get home, you can clean it up and put a good edge on it. And another cool thing about that is this nitro V blade steel is just exceptionally corrosion resistant. It's not going to rust. It's not going to, uh, it's just, it's there for a lifetime. So it's, it seemed like the perfect blade steel. That's awesome. So I was going to ask you there, it retains an edge very well. What's the best way to sharpen that once you get off a hunt? Yeah, me personally, I like a Lansky style knife sharpener. You can clamp it in there and you can get that exact 18 to 19 degree blade angle, which that's that's the angle on the blade. So it's going to take very few strokes to get that thing hair shaving sharp. You can use one of the styles of knife sharpeners that you, you just pull through and, and they sharpen it really well and do a good job. The only thing I don't like about that is it takes a little of the, I guess t- it can take away an uneven amount of material. So it, yeah, it gets razor sharp, but it doesn't, it doesn't look as good. So me personally, I like to take it home and put it on a good system like a Lansky or something like that, really just fine tuning. Some of the cheaper ones you can pick up for $25, one of those knives sharpening systems or whatever and I, I think it's something that'll would be beneficial in the long run for any hunter yeah that's one thing i've never been able to do i, I don't think you have have your hand uh sharpened one aaron no i've never been able to successfully do it <laughs> <laughs> i don't have a lot of confidence in my hand sharpening skills when it comes to putting an edge on a knife yeah and i get it and that's why i like that lansky style one i can't remember the one i have is actually not a lansky it's that style like i said it's the cheaper one it's it's like a 25 dollar deal but you can put that thing in there and clamp it and it's just anybody can do it it's super simple and you're gonna put a really good edge on it really quick and last a long time so that's awesome He's, we've come a long way since uh we used to hunt with dad and he'd carry that well first off the sharpener was bigger than the knife and the knife was like I think yeah. it was a brick. 30 30 inches long yeah Jeez, I come a long way. Let me teach you how to sharpen a knife, kids. And we're like, so, so what's the strategy here, Dad? I don't really know. I'm just kind of running this knife across this stone. I'm like, okay, that's helpful. Yeah. Spit on, spit on the stone and stone, and just grind it away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we really knew how to do. So I've never had a ton of confidence in uh, 
in in hand sharpening any sort of blade and knives are expensive let's be honest like you don't want to screw up a blade so having that lansky or or whatever or that other one you're talking about that makes a lot more sense but man that pro is sexy features a carbon inlay inside that titanium handle what was kind of your inspiration and thoughts there travis i'm just one of those type of guys like i'm gonna buy the best of whatever i can get my hands on and my idea behind the fixed blade is i want it to be these awesome badass materials you know titanium carbon you know i want it to have that awesome uh appeal and that good look and aesthetically pleasing and the cool thing about the turcarbon pro is just so much function in it like it's a two-piece design to my knowledge there's not another two-piece designed fixed blade out there it's got two titanium set screws uh and those blades just lock in there rock solid and you you can interchange blades say you act, you destroyed a blade you can buy a replacement blade from us for your knife so and that handle is going to last a long time a lifetime so gosh that's almost what i'd prefer doing after i wreck one is just to buy another one you can do that i mean it's going to be a lot cheaper for you in the long run to learn how to sharpen it but it's definitely stuff happens you know why why throw your knife away when all you need is another blade so yeah absolutely what a cool system to be able to integrate the allen keys and into, into the quarter inch drive hole at the end of the handle there it, it it was absolutely genius if there's one thing i've learned about you travis travis you're never satisfied and i want to support a business where they develop products where they're never satisfied meaning they're going to continually strive to make their products better and that's what you do man in regards to business uh, work and bow hunting you're always refining your kit you're refining your process you're trying to get better and that's what i like about what you do and and who you are yeah i, I like to if, if i run into a problem i like to solve it so it's it's easiest you know put it behind you figure it out figure out a new solution and just innovate and you know in the end you're going to have a better product from year to year yeah absolutely so we have a special code for all the muley freak listeners at checkout enter the code muley freak and save yourself a little bit of money on on travis's knives and support local they're american made they're not some chinese knockoffs they're made right in the treasure valley which is boise travis works his tail off to make these knives so if you're going to get a knife if you like that replaceable havilon blade type knife you're going to love the capra hunter ti but it's lighter it's better it features two tools in one, and, and then you got the fixed blade. So if you're a fixed blade type guy, then look at the Carbon Pro, the Carbon Skeleton, and then also Travis's newest release, which is the Nitro Tur. Tell us about the Nitro Tur real quick. So the Nitro Tur is basically uh, a straight knockoff of the Carbon Pro, and the Carbon Pro is a two-piece. So the Nitro Tur is... a a solid piece of nitro v that's cut out so basically it's all from nitro v it's going to be super corrosion resistant but the cool thing is i'm able to save by not having all that extra machining i don't have titanium in the handle i don't have that carbon so it's more of a budget friendly knife you know for if you're the type of guy that you don't care about the aesthetics which this knife still is badass looking you just i'm able to save and pass that on to the customer and it's it's great so you basically get the same thing so you took Nitro V and ran it along the handle versus running titanium on the handle. So that way you're refining your process. I'm guessing it's a little bit less steps to make it, I'm assuming. Yep, less machining, all that stuff. So Yeah, but still a great piece of steel, still super lightweight. What's the Nitro V run? 1.8 ounces. So Super light. And the Turcarbon Pro is 1.5. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Good for you. I wish you the best of luck and keep working hard on that. We're going to continue to support you and and push all we can i know that in these films that peyton is in the middle of editing that there's going to be a lot of goat knives exposure so i can't wait to see some of these films and and how they turn out on the muley freak side so anyway let's talk about bow hunting man that's that's your passion i i I want to hear like a lot of people don't know how you started and I, i remember specific stories from you of how you bought all these books because the internet wasn't around then right you didn't have there wasn't this social media noise and I, I remember a couple stories that you've told me and shared with me about how you bought uh, some books tell me i, I just want to hear the whole love affair that is bow hunting for you yeah as a kid i i don't know i had this natural instinct to hunt just hunting in general and then one of the biggest drives to get into bow hunting is my dad actually wouldn't let me have a rifle or anything without his supervision but i wanted to go out after school and hit the ditch bank, go looking for pheasants or ducks or birds or whatever. And I want to be able to do that every day. Well, 
I was able to have a bow. So I kind of fell in love with the bow just because I couldn't have my BB gun out or my 22 without parental supervision, you know, but I, I grew up, I just, I became absolutely infatuated with bow hunting. I loved the flight of the arrow. I loved everything about it. I loved shooting my bow. And I, I, I would basically just try to get my hands on any kind of material I could that related to bow hunting. You know, I think back in the day, I think we had, I think it was like, ah, like prime time outdoors or something like that, like on our dish, you know, it was, I can't even remember what it's so long ago. I can't even remember what it's called, but there was like the real tree shows on there. There was whitetail hunting all the time. There was the primo stuff, a lot of the elk hunting. And I just absolutely fell in love with that kind of stuff. And as I got older and older, and especially once I started working, I, I bought bow hunting DVD after bow hunting DVD. I mean, I literally have hundreds. I have this whole library of bow hunting DVDs. I just watched that stuff. I would hunt, you know, bow hunting was my life, you know, and, and that was actually one of the times that, that was during the time that like Cameron Haynes really started to come out. He came out with his book, A Guide to the Wild Side. I purchased that book and read that thing cover to cover and just anything I could get my hands on those Eastman's bow hunting journals. Like I literally, I would stick those things inside my math book there at, at school. And <laughs> That's awesome. While everybody else is doing their homework, I'm reading that thing cover to cover. And so I just, I absolutely been in love with bow hunting from the time that I could, was able to do it. So that's awesome. You know, it's, it's really funny that you talked about that supervision thing because my dad did the exact same thing to me that you just described. He, he worked a call center job in Salt Lake, which is about yeah. 45 minutes from where we grew up. He said, you can use the guns when I'm around, but you can't touch the guns when I'm not home. So my parents bought me this Browning bow for my birthday without a rest, without a sight. And I didn't have a release and it was a compound and I would literally go shoot yep. uh, robins in my backyard trying to eat the strawberries out of our orchard. And that's what I did because I, my parents didn't, they weren't going to let me have a gun. So I used this bow. Yep. Yep. Same here. I had a, a bear bow. I, I can't remember what it was exactly, but I shot three fingers under. That's what felt good to me. And man, I could hit everything. I was so good with that thing. Cause I shot that thing all the time. I'd, I'd sneak off into the foothills behind my house and shoot cottontails. They'd be sitting there by their hole or, you know, next to a bunch of barnwood. And I would just come back with three or four of those things every time I went out. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I can, I can only remember ever hitting like two robins though. Like, I'm not going to lie. And I, I didn't even know what a rangefinder was until like, geez, 15 years ago. But yeah, no, no rangefinders, no releases, no sights. That's awesome. Three fingers below the, the bead on, on the string or whatever it was is how oh, it man. felt right. Yeah. <laughs> See, I remember, I remember because I didn't even have any sights on my bow. I just literally like, it was kind of, I could just look down the arrow. I, I knew where it was going to go. But then as technology came around a little bit, I had this gold sight that was literally like, it was like a screw with a, and the end of it had this little point on it that I took white out and put on the end of it. So I had a white reference point on that thing, you know, no peep, no release, none of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Aaron doesn't remember these stories uh, just because he was so much younger than me when I would have been this age. But do you remember that old compound bow I had? Yeah, it's still at dad's, still hanging around. Yeah, I, I remember being early teenager, maybe 12, 13 and grabbing that thing and going and shooting it at the old barn just where <laughs> so that, that thing's been around forever draw lengths who knew what draw lengths were back then travis <laughs> yeah uh, ripped my ear off when i was shooting my bow because <laughs> <laughs> it was way too big for me you know yeah and slap the crap out of your forearm oh man just bloodied with big old purple welts on you <laughs> oh yeah that's awesome so how did how did it progress from there obviously you you stepped up your game you got a little gold sight there you you marked some things with a little whiteout pen like how did how did it develop from there how did you continue to learn well I, I would say like until I was able to drive like I was pretty limited you know like I would ride my I literally remember I used to live in salmon and they had this late season hunt and I could drive like three and a half miles with my mountain bike and I'd carry my bow on that thing. And I could go across this bridge and get on the other side of the salmon or into this, this other unit, unit 28, which was a late season hunt over there. And I'd go hunt whitetail over there. But I mean, that's just kind of an example of like, I did whatever I could to go hunting, like hunting absolutely infatuated me. It's all I thought about was hunting, which a lot 
nothing's really changed. You know, I have a lot more responsibilities now, but right. you know, once, once I was able to drive and I had access to a vehicle, you know, I just, I wanted success so bad. I just literally, I just never quit. And it was one of those things, you know, after lots and lots of failure, I, I just really tried to pay attention to the things that didn't work and make those adjustments. I never really tried to overthink anything. I just kind of went with what was kind of instinctive. And a lot of that just has come from started with, you know, robins in the backyard to cottontails to coyotes. And then I, I was able to get my hunting license and I was able to actually start pursuing deer and bears and whatever I could. And, you know, that's what I did. I, I got out and I just hunted as much as I could because I absolutely loved it. And every year it just seems to become a little easier just because I get a little more patient. I know what to do. And yeah, things just seem to kind of fell into place over the years. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I remember as a kid wanting to grow up too fast because I wanted to be 12 year old so I could hunt upland game with a shotgun and, and waterfowl. And then I just wanted to be 14 so I could go on my first big game hunt because in the state of Utah, you had to be 14 at the time. Yeah. I, in my natural progression as a bow hunter, we had this guy that lived on our farm, uh, our dairy uh, their name were the Gurches, and they. I was just thinking about him. Yeah, and they bow hunted. And I remember thinking, man, I, I want to bow hunt like then. And my grandpa'd say jokes about the Indians, I guess, and I, I, won't, I won't say them. But anyway, he, <laughs> he, he's he's like, why would you hunt with a bow when you can hunt with a rifle? And I just remember thinking, God. And my grandpa was kind of, I won't say anti bow hunting. He just didn't believe in it. So I went at like 17 years old. Like I saved up all my money and I bought a bow sight and I bought a release and all these things. I didn't really know what I was doing. I don't even think I had the dang thing sighted in. And my neighbor used tree stands. So I went and hung a tree stand. I didn't hang any cameras. I just saw some deer walk past this tree. I'm like, oh, that's probably a good spot to put a, put a tree stand. So I get up there. I, I climb in that tree stand and on my way into the tree stand, I almost fell out. I, I did fall out, fell to the bottom of the tree and almost landed on my broadheads at my chest. And they, they came out as I was as during the fall and I literally almost stuck the broadheads in my chest and it was right before I went on a mission. So, um, I was like, Oh man, that, that was kind of scary. But any, anyway, I, I say that to say this is like, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And it wasn't until I was 25 or 26, just because I got busy with college and, and got married young and worked a lot that I didn't get back into bow hunting until about 10 years ago. But it, it sounds like you hit it hard from, 18 to 25 like that's when you really started to develop yeah I, I would say it was even yeah i mean from as soon as i got my driver's license at 16 i was i was hitting the hills so tell us about that first boat kill i want to hear about this i want to hear about maybe a couple unsuccessful trips what you learned and then i want to hear about the first boat kill on a buck, well, well my on very buck. first bow kill was uh i actually killed a white tail doe and you know when i was a kid i you know, obviously I want to kill a big buck, but I didn't care if it, if it was legal, I was happy with that. So I remember I rode my bike, like I said, <laughs> alongside the highway until I could get into my unit. And <laughs> this yeah. bike story is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where'd you yeah, put your I bow? Up, Did you have a pack back then to strap your bow onto? No, I, I held it like I sandwiched it in between the handlebars and just rode it up on the front of my handlebars. That's how I was imagining it. So I'm glad <laughs> that's how it was. Oh, yeah. oh that's yeah, exactly. hilarious. Yeah, I don't even think I had camo or anything. It was it was pretty uh yeah, I had a different a different broadhead in my quiver. Every other one was different, you know. <laughs> these these old satellite broadheads that were just enormous, you know. Right. Um, I had two blades, three blades, whatever I could get my hands on, you know. Whatever you could afford, right? Yeah, exactly. Whatever my my parents would buy me, you know. So, yeah, I just uh, I remember putting a stock on this white-tailed doe it was just over this rise and I snuck up and of course it was a uh, a younger doe just sitting there broadside feeding away. And I remember drawing back and putting it right behind its shoulder. And I shot this deer and it, it ran across the road. Literally. I remember watching a car coming down the road, just <laughs> jumps, jumps a fence. And this was on a Sunday too. Right. So right. These people are probably, probably coming back from church right in front of them, jumps the fence right in front of them, runs across the road, jumps the fence again, and then dies on the side of the road. And I remember the deer died and I was kind of mad because they literally, I didn't get to see the deer die because they stopped in between and where the deer had jumped and, and me. So I, you know, and then I, I come running up behind them. Like I jumped the fence and I'm like, it kind of took, took a little away from me because they parked right in front of where the deer died. Cause they just saw this deer running with blood pouring out the side of it, you know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's insane. It ends up dying right there next to the, the road there but anyway so 
I can't remember exactly. I don't even think, I don't even think we had cell phones back then. I think I know I didn't, but I think I literally had to, Oh, that I walked to one of the guys houses there that I knew from church. And I used his phone to call my parents and told them that I killed a deer so that they could come get me and we could take this deer home. So <laughs> try as you might, you weren't going to put the deer on the scent. The I, don't even, I, don't even, handlebars. I don't even think I had a knife or anything to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> this was, I was pretty green. So, Oh, that's awesome, man. That's a cool story, dude. So, so what about the first buck kill? Let's hear about that. So the first buck I killed, um, actually, this is kind of a funny story. This, uh, so me and my buddy, Caleb, we, we rode up, like I said, I barely had enough money to put gas in my tank to get to the hills, you know, so we, we head to the hills and we're, uh, just trying to find some deer and we couldn't find any deer, you know, we hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted. And finally it's, we're like, okay, let's, let's head back home. So we're on our way home. And like, I remember driving down the road and I look off to the left and down off the road, off this old gravel road, there was like three bucks feeding right next to this river. And I'm like, Holy cow, there's some deer right there. So we pull off the road and we, we get our bows and we put the sneak down the edge of the road and pop up on the edge of the road. And I didn't even have a range find or anything. I'm like, man, I can't get any closer. And man, this deer had to been like 70 yards, you know, and this was back in the day when like to shoot 70 yards, you just had to like elevate your arrow over the top of its back. You know, I I was a young kid and I was any opportunity I could get. I was, I was, I was trying to make that happen. I'm like, yeah, I think I could make this shot. And I shot and just absolutely smoked this buck like absolutely perfect just lucky as can be and this this buck <laughs> runs 30 yards right down the edge of this uh this brush line and falls over and and anyway we're able to drag it back up on the road and throw it up on top of my ford explorer my hand-me-down ford explorer that my parents had given me and i was pretty pumped but oh. <laughs> that oh, was when it, it all started to kind of click for me you know i started uh you know, just to have that little success really gave me a lot of confidence. So that's awesome, man. So what, how old were you then? Man, I was probably, well, that, that I shouldn't say that was my first, my very first buck. That was my first bow kill buck. Okay. Um, my first, my first buck I killed when I, when I was 12 and it was with a rifle, but gotcha. so I think I was, I think I was 16. So yeah, that's impressive. 70 yard Hail Mary. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yep. <laughs> Smoked him. Smoked him. How, yeah. how big did you say the buck was? Uh, it was a nice four by three, like a 140 inch buck or something. That's, you know? a, that's a stud. First bow kill at 16, man. I bet you're so pumped. Were you the talk of the town or what? <laughs> I, I don't remember, but it's, it's, it's been, a, it was pretty cool. So that's, that's pretty awesome. So how, how did your maturity and progression go from there? You said things started to click. Tell me about that. You know, a lot of it was just, uh, you know, as I worked, I just, save my money and I put all my effort into hunting, you know, and yeah, I, I just hunted as much as I could, you know, I hunted a lot with my dad, you know, my dad was more of a rifle hunter, but we went elk hunting together and stuff like that. So yeah. And it was just one of those things learning from my mistakes and just putting as much time and hunting as hard as I could. And it just, you know, I I can't remember exactly when it, I was having success every now and then to where uh, I remember it was this, it was this elk season and I had killed this six point bull. And that season, I remember telling myself up until that point, I was kind of like, I just still didn't have the confidence, you know? And I was, a lot of it was, I wasn't confident in the spots that I was going. I thought that I needed to be at like a perfect spot. If I wasn't at this perfect spot, I didn't have confidence in it. But I remember that season. What do you I mean just, perfect spot? Can you expand on that? Um, you know, you have this vision of, uh, like I needed to find this spot where I could always get into bulls and I could always get into the deer and stuff like that. Well, that year I remember working really, really hard and it wasn't, I kind of figured out it wasn't about the spot. It was about finding that spot by hunting hard every day and learning and making a game, a new game plan every day until you get in the elk, until you kill an elk. And I remember, I think that was 2007, if I remember right. That was the year that I remember telling myself, I'm like, I'd never gave up. I gave it my all and I was confident in what I did every day. I kind of started to like enjoy the process a little more. You know, I kind of started to enjoy just being in the hills with my dad and hunting and and looking at the beauty and and hearing bugles and getting into elk. And it was kind of at that point that I remember telling myself, I'm like, I am never going to quit until it is the last day. I I will never quit again because I've proven to myself this season that I can do it. And really from that point on, there hasn't been very many seasons from that 
back in 2007 that I haven't punched my tag. So, yeah, that's one thing I remember on our first elk hunt together, Travis, is that's one thing that ingrained in my mind. You said to me, I will give it my all every single hunt until the very last moment. Yeah. I I really thought about that because guess what? That's uncomfortable. That's hard. And it sucks a lot. It's a lot of work. Yep. But you know what? You feel so much better. There has been years that I haven't punched, you know, a tag here or there. And it's easy for me to swallow, you know, because I gave it everything I had and I did the best I could. And, you know, I can accept that. But if you throw in the towel because things are tough, you don't feel good about that. Right. No. and And there's times that I've given up early because, I don't know, discouraged things going on at home. And that's why I really liked what uh, Dan Picard said in that last podcast. He's like, get your fares in order before you go. Especially so true, especially bow hunting. But I got this going on at home or my wife's mad and I've been gone too many days this month. And, you know, I've got this stress and that stress. But if you, if you just try to put that to side and focus on the moment in reality, you'll probably be home sooner. But anyway, not to get sidetracked on that, but that was just a thought that you said there. But yeah, you saying I'll give it everything until the very last second. That's one thing that's always stuck with me. And guess what? Time's going to pass regardless. Like if you think about it like this, time's going to be passed regardless. So you might as well work your guts out, work your butt off so that you don't have any regrets thinking, man, I could have done this a little bit better. Or I'd be this further ahead in my life or work or business if I just would have done this and given this a little bit more effort. The time's going to pass. The, the hunt days are going to end. Like you don't want that. So give it your all. I don't know. I just wanted Absolutely. to share that. Not to go on a that. tangent, but you just, I remember you saying that to me when we went on that first elk hunt together. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think a lot of it, especially as I get older, like I said, is just enjoying the process. You know, it's maybe you might not get into elk one day or, or deer or whatever you're after, but whole scheme of things, you're out there enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the mountains and, and the beauty that God has created for us. You know, I, I just think it's, you can accept and make that process to your life, you're just going to find more success in it. You're not failing, even if you are failing, if you're out in the field doing what you love to do. Anyway, you you, you also made me think about when we were elk hunting together about um, when we were coming off the mountain there and I was freaking licked, um, dehydrated, didn't sleep that night, was sick. And we were kind of coming out of there in some of that rough country and we jumped a bunch of elk. Do you remember that cloud of smoke as we were hiking out and we were all kind of tired and kind of, I don't know, lollygagging, hiking out in the middle of the day and we jumped all those elk? Do you remember that? I don't remember that. You don't remember that? Okay. Anyway, so we're hiking out and we just, all of a sudden we look at each other like, what the heck was that? And we watch these elk run off. But um, anyway, I, I say that to ask you this, how do you stay on your game all day long? Do you... Do you give yourself time to rest sometimes? Let's say you're mentally defeated or you're dehydrated or, or hot and tired and you've been grinding hard in the morning and at night. Do, do you take a nap in the middle of the day or are you full bore 24-7 or do you find that you you need mental rest at times? Oh, no, I, I take naps. I'm I'm the nap king out there on the mountains. So. Okay, that's what I like to do too. <laughs> I like to, yeah, I like to, I feel like you get up early, you get yourself you know, I, I guess it, it kind of depends if you're elk hunting or you're deer hunting or whatever. Yeah, you, you've got to refuel. I mean, it, just that little rest time, you know, have some lunch, sit back, take a little nap. It just mentally, it's like a, just puts you back at zero again to just start hitting it, hitting it hard again. Right. Enjoy the so, process and, and relax a little bit and don't stress it out. I don't know, Aaron, what do you like to do? Do you like to take naps? Do yeah. You? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. I don't know. Just talking about, uh, you know, Travis talking about enjoying the moment. I think um, bow hunting, I, I, when I first started out, I was like, man, this is so frustrating. My first, well, I guess it was my second year carrying a bow, but really my first year going hard, Eric and I found some bucks and I went in, nice four point. This thing walked perfectly into like 54 yards or yeah, something. Do you remember that? I'm like, hurry, get down there, cut him off. Yeah. So I went down, cut him off shot him thought i hit him good and he bled like crazy and uh eric eric and i looked for three four days for this buck couldn't find him we jumped in the next day and there's just a little bit of blood but we thought gosh for how much blood there was there yesterday you know we should have killed him and i anyway i tell this story because i think i started off just being really frustrated towards bow hunting and it was frustrating. It was defeating. And, uh, I think like you said, Travis, 
it was kind of the next year and the next year it was more so just me enjoying the process and and learning about it I think I the next year I went up and killed my first buck with a bow he was you know two point but it was a cool experience I learned a lot from that then the next year I went out killed some more stuff with my bow and it just kind of grew with me but I think the important thing with bow hunting is just enjoying the process enjoying the learning because there's so much learning you know from every hunt that you can take and it compounds just like you talked about starting at an early age compared to where you're at now and uh, I just remember I think it was two years ago I remember it was pouring rain and I was like oh this sucks I woke up at four in the morning and drove and then hiked up here and I'm like this sucks and it was just pouring pouring rain it was super foggy and I was like you know what I feel like I've been on a hunt before and after it stopped raining everything started to get up and I'm like I need to stick this out and so I sat there got soaking wet but sure enough the rain stopped and deer started poking up everywhere I ended up putting a, a perfect stock on this buck got to probably too close got to nine yards on him and uh, I tried to shoot him bedded and I hit him high and he took off. And then I was frustrated again. But <laughs> like I took something, you know, I, was, I stuck out the rain and then I got into, I made a perfect stock. I was, I was super patient. It was like an hour and a half stock, got into nine yards on him. Obviously I didn't execute after that, but I, that's what I love about bow hunting. There's so much to learn. And I've started to enjoy that process of bow hunting because that's what it is. It's, it's a process. It's learning. And uh, that's what you don't really get with rifle hunting. You know, you still can learn and there's still a lot to learn and it's different. But that's what I think is so appealing for me, at least with bow hunting. Yeah, it definitely helps you become more mentally strong. It'll make you aware real quick that you got to perfect your entire game. There you did everything right and you put this perfect stock on them. Well, then it came to the shot and you just didn't quite execute and do everything that you, you needed to, to make that shot. Well, maybe you did, but maybe, you know, maybe things just went wrong. But the cool thing about bow hunting is it's just a, a never ending process of learning and practicing and staying sharp. And when you can get everything to come in sync and you start finding success, there is nothing more rewarding than bow hunting. No, I agree. hundred percent. 100% there's nothing more rewarding than, than watching those fletchings bury right where they're supposed to go on an animal after you've put in the work. Yep. And w one of my loves for bow hunting and how my love has progressed for bow hunting is filming it. It is so stinking hard to successfully film a bow hunt. You have to have the right hunting buddy. You have to have the right dude filming. But part of me is it's like this, for me, it's like painting something. Like it's like an artist with a canvas oil brush and, and putting that together for me a bow hunt yeah i like to bow hunt but man just be able to document it and film it to be able to bring home and show my friends and my buddies and my kids that's like that really does it for me and i know in in fact i i when i started getting into bow hunting hard again guess whose videos i watched i watched yours travis i watched yours and rick's and, and some of your adventures and i was like man i can do this yeah, I just, uh, you, you definitely grew my passion for bow hunting. And I, I did it at an early age. I know I didn't know what I was doing and I kind of got out of it for a minute, but that's kind of how my, my love affair progressed and matured with bow hunting. Yeah, there's nothing like it. So that's awesome. Well, man, so it's obviously easier now. It's, I'm not, not to say that bow hunting is easy, but it's obviously easier for you now. So how has your love grown for bow hunting now and, and how's it different than what it was then? Now it's more, it's just that release to be able to get out there and fine tune my hunting skills. I can take all the things I've learned over the course of my life and all the things that you make note of all the things that didn't work out and just implement it and, and moving forward and becoming better. But for now, it's more about just getting out there and enjoying it and yeah, just enjoying every minute of it. So yeah. Trav, I, I think I'm sure a lot of people look at you and they're like, man, how does, how does he get it done year after year? How is he so consistent from talking with you today? It's not really an easy, you know, thing to just say, you know, this is why, but other than you've been doing it forever and you enjoy doing it and you like to improve your craft, you know, year after year, because it, it is easy, you know, to look from the outside and say, geez, man, he kills great bucks, great bulls every single year. How does he do it? But from what I can see, it's just that you've been doing it for so long. You're comfortable with it. You enjoy it. I mean, do you have anything to say on that? I think uh, from an outside perspective, I don't think 
a lot of people understand the work that does go into it. You know, I don't, I don't have an unlimited amount of time. I don't have an unlimited amount of resources. So I try to plan my hunts out well before the hunt. I, I know where I'm going to go. I know what my next move is going to be. And I just put everything into those hunts. Like a, a lot of it's mental and a lot of it's physical. I just, I just seem to really put, yeah, I just do whatever it takes. And I enjoy the process. Like it's a lot of work into a lot of people, you know, they might not enjoy that, but I do enjoy it. So that's, I think that's one of the things with me, especially as I've gotten older, like, like I say, it seems I'm actually not as good a shape as I used to be and stuff like that, but bow hunting itself, like it just seems to become easier and easier. And a lot of it is just having more patience, uh, knowing when to make my next move. Yeah. Like we've said this time and time again, just enjoying every minute of it. So, yeah, I, I think this, you know, we can call it the theme of this podcast, like falling in love with bow hunting or how your love for bow hunting's progressed and developed. But if there's anything that I'm hearing from you, it's just enjoying it, enjoying the process, enjoying the journey that is bow hunting, enjoying the struggles, the highs, the lows, the defeats, the successes, because I know that even though you feel tags, there's animals that you're pursuing that you're not successful on that. Um, I know oh, big yeah. bucks and bulls that have broke your heart. And you might, there's been so many that you, you don't talk publicly about that, but you and I being friends, we, we talk about it and it, it's good. It's good to know someone experiences you fails too, because it helps me feel better. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's another thing I want to point out is just being able to brush something off and move on and just continue to work hard. Like, you know, I used to dwell when I, on things, when I would screw up, you know, I messed up on this buck or messed up on this bull and I would let it, I, I don't know, it would it would just put more stress on the hunt. Like I'm so quick to forget anymore. Like a prime example, I can't, yeah, I guess it would have been last year. So I put a stock on this big bear. I get in, I'm right on top of it. Like this bear is in a perfect spot to kill with my bow. And I don't know if you've got spot and stuck bears much out West. It's not, these opportunities are very few and far between like, yeah, I'll see bears, but to actually be like, when I put eyes on this bear again, I was inside a hundred yards. So I'm and it is set up perfect. Like there's this ridge with these scattered ponderosa trees on it. And just off to the right, there's this little bull in this bear. Big old boar was just feeding in this grass and I'm slipping down on him. And I'm, you know, I'm in my stock and shoes, just going down this ridge, trying to be quiet and bears, you know, pretty much you just have to, as long as you got a good wind, as long as they're not looking at you and they're down and feeding, you can pretty much walk right up to them. Well, I ended up blowing this bear out at like, 60 yards. I just wanted to get a little closer. Um, and I end up slipping in these pine needles and I, he <laughs> caught me moving and it's like, are you kidding me? This bear runs off and I'm just like pissed. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like I, I could have killed the bear right then. I just got a little greedy. I want to get a little closer and I got a little lazy. You know what I mean? Like I was going a little too fast and slipped because this bear was feeding away and I should have I knew I was going a little too fast. Let's right. just say that. So that bear, well, when, when he ran away, he ran over to the next cut and like right before he goes into the next cut, he stops for a second. Like he saw something and it was really weird. And then he turns around and runs the opposite direction that he just kind of towards me, but down the hill, you know, I was like, that was weird. And I was like, so I do the walk of shame back up to my pack and I get my boots on and everything. And I'm, I'm going to hike down the Canyon and hike out of there. But there was like 45 minutes left of daylight, you know? And I was like, you know what? I don't know what's in this next cut. And I was like, why did that bear stop like that? Like that, that was weird. So I literally get down right where that bear had ran and I start following his tracks in the sand on this steep hillside. And then I peek over the top of that hill and there's a bigger bear in the next cut feeding, doing the exact same thing. And long, Jeez. long story short. Yeah. Long story short, I slip right in there and I, I shoot this bear at 35 yards and it's this giant chocolate boar, but that's a prime example right there of just well, Nick says you're lucky. That's, that's definitely a little lucky there, but you didn't quit though. That's the point. Yeah, That's it. Like, you know what I mean? I could have just been pissed, put on my boots and walked out of there, but you know, I kept my head about me. I was quick to forget. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go check this next cannon. There's a little more time. I'm going to check it. Boom. Right there. Bow hunting gods were shining down on, down on me and there was another opportunity for me to make up for my mistakes so it's a good thing you didn't lace up your pouting boots and take off oh that's what i'd have probably done <laughs> i do that a lot i can pretty much bet that about 90 percent of people would have that would have been it so right. 
And that, that was one of those things. They're still light. I, I need to go check this next canyon. I'm going to enjoy the process and, and you know, cause bow hunting can go from zero to hero, just like that. Like I just failed, but here it is 10 minutes later, I'm stalking in on a bigger bear than I just blew out. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, a, that's an incredible story of your, and it only supports what I've said. There's no quitting you. I think if you're going to be successful at anything, like I said, you've, you've got to have that, you know what? I screwed up. I got to keep going. There's nothing I can do about it, but learn from it. Chalk it up as a learning experience. And you had, you only had 45 minutes of light left and you're in the back country. And like Aaron said, you didn't put on your pouting boots. You, you know, you followed those tracks and lo and behold, you had this instinct that that bear acted funny and you found an even bigger bear. So, uh, that only supports my, uh, my belief that you, you just don't quit. And that's one thing I, I really like about you. I was going to say, I listen to a lot of podcasts like yours and Eastman's elevated and, uh, stuff like that. And it seems like all these guys that I listen to these podcast guys, like Brian Barney or Dan Picard or any, any of the bow hunters that I really, uh, respect, like we have a lot in common. And, and one thing I, I do realize is that almost all those people that find a lot of success, they, they do a lot of things differently, but they do a lot of things the same, you know, and a lot of it is just, straight up hard work. They enjoy the process. They learn from their mistakes and yeah, they just, that's it. That's awesome. I think one thing I've picked up from this podcast today too, um, in sports, they talk a lot about intangibles, right? You know, maybe this quarterback's not the most talented or most gifted, but he has intangibles that make him, you know, rise above, you know, his competition. I feel like you have those intangibles just to know, oh, that bear kind of acted funny. And I think the more and more you hunt, the more practice you put behind you, you kind of pick up those, you know, you could call them instincts or intangibles, but oh, that's something that probably 90% of people wouldn't have picked up on, you know, a bear acting funny or do this or do that to get it done, I guess you could say. But it seems like you have those intangibles, Travis, you know, after talking with you and, you know, even hearing stories about from Eric, you know, when he hunts with you, those are kind of things you pick up. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, as you hunt more and more. Yeah, I think so. I get that question a lot, you know, like, how are you, how are you so successful? How do you do this? You know, and it, I don't have an answer for anybody except the fact that I just, use the basic principles of hunting, you know, like, you know, stay out of sight, keep the wind in your, you know, keep the wind, right. Do all those things. But a lot of it is just adapting on the fly. You know, every hunt's different. So I just know things that have worked over the years and things that haven't. And it's something that I don't sit and break down and try to think of. It just comes natural. The more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. And that's the same with a lot of these other hunters that find a lot of success, you know, and I'm sure, you guys are the same way. You know, you started out young, you just had a desire to push hard and, and, you know, find success. And the more and more you succeed, the more and more knowledge you gain, and it just becomes easier and easier. And, and that, that snowball just continues to gain momentum. And as long as you put forth the effort and uh, enjoy the process, I think that most hunters are going to find more and more success. Yeah, absolutely. It, experience. It's hard to replace that. You can't. And until you get out there and fail, you're not going to learn. So yep. anyway, well, thanks for, thanks for joining us, Travis. I love talking about your love for bow hunting and, and how that progress and, and the things that you've learned. It's been really interesting learning about um, the goat knives as well. And, and if you guys want to check out goat knives and support Travis, uh, use code Muley Freak at checkout, save yourself some money, check out the Capra Hunter TI, the Tur Carbon Pro. Um, I know that you'll love it. So all right, Travis, thanks for taking the time out of your Friday to join Aaron and I on the Grind podcast and uh, looking forward to the next one with you. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Jeff.